And as you're seated, would you open the Word of God to Titus chapter 3, as we study together the Word of God that teaches us, that encourages us, that edifies, that builds up our faith, turns our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our ears to the Lord to hear, to see, to rejoice, to believe. Titus chapter 3, we'll read the first seven Let's read the first eight verses, and we won't be able to cover these in depth as we like to do, uh, but we'll do our best. We've got a few minutes here, so let's read Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father, thank you, Lord, for the truth of Jesus, the the reality of Jesus. God, thank you that he has saved us who know him who have been found in him, repenting of sins, believing in him. Father, we pray that for those who do not know that they will come to know him that they will believe, that they will repent. Father, that you would be glorified, that he would be exalted. In his name we pray, amen. Well, we are so excited for this service. Uh, The brothers and sisters who will be coming up to this platform and come into this baptismal in a few minutes, publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ through obedience to his command to be baptized. And that is, in case you weren't sure, As we went through the baptism class last week, that's why we baptize, because Jesus told us to. That's the reason that we do this. This wasn't uh, our idea. This wasn't something that we came up with. This is something that that Jesus came up with and and that he tells us to do. And that's in your notes. We baptize because Jesus told us to baptize. So that's the first thing we need to keep in mind. Before he left, Jesus gave the church two ordinances or commands for us to obey. As with the other commands, these are not burdensome. These are commands that we joyfully, that we willingly seek to obey for praise to him. Both of these ordinances or commands are public pictures of salvation in Jesus Christ. The first one, Lord willing, we'll celebrate next week in the Lord's Supper. The second one is what we're rejoicing in this week, baptism. So we're doing this because our Lord Jesus Christ graciously commanded it. He gave it to us. But the reason he gave it to us is because of what it pictures, what this is all about, what this is showing us, the symbols, the the pictures of baptism that teach us and remind us of gospel truth. What does it picture? 
What does it proclaim? Well, in our class last week, we looked at five different pictures of baptism in a large, broad context. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just zoom in on one of those this morning just to get a good picture, a good understanding of what baptism proclaims in one of the five pictures. What are the five of them? Well, Lord willing, we'll have another baptism coming soon. Come to the class and you'll find out. (laughs) But the one that we're going to be talking about this morning is that one that's in your notes. Baptism is a picture of being cleansed from sin. It's a picture of being cleansed from sin. Now, since we're just running and jumping into the third chapter of Titus here, briefly, let's just talk about how we got to this point in Titus. In uh, verses 1 through 4, Paul gives an introduction. This is from Paul to Titus, but this is God's Word. And Paul said, I left you there in Crete to to, to set in order what remained and appoint elders, pastors in the church. And so Paul begins with the pastors, their elders, and the qualifications in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And then he gives the reason that that's so important and so urgent in the following verses. In verses 10 through 16, the false teachers must be silenced by good doctrine, by good teaching. And then he gets back to what you need to be setting in order. Why I left you there was to appoint elders and to set in order what remained. And so the older believers, the more mature believers, should be teaching the younger believers in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The last four verses of chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, also give the reason and then the result for all of this, along with the importance and the urgency for everything that's happened to to set in order what remained. But then he says, because of God's grace that has brought salvation, because his grace has taught us how to live, because you're declaring these things, young Pastor Titus, remind them in chapter 3, remind us. Believers, Christians, remind us of the practical specifics of how that looks in our life, verses 1 and 2. And these verses are so practical and instructive. But why do we have to be reminded of all of this? Why do we have to be reminded to be uh, about good works and to do good things and to to care about what God says? Because, verse 3 says, because we used to be totally different. We used to be totally different. Verse 3 is how different. It characterizes us before or without God's grace in salvation through Jesus Christ. This is what we need to understand about being cleansed from sin in the gospel. We need to understand before, how, and now. Before Christ, how he cleansed us and saved us now that we're in Christ. And baptism is the public picture of all of that, as we're going to see. So verse 3 shows us the before. Verses 4 through 6 show us the how. Verses 7 and 8 show us the now. Okay, so let's look at number 1, before Christ, verse 3. And brothers and sisters, this is not a pretty picture. What we were before. But it's the truth of what we were before Christ. Paul uses a series of descriptions here that give a really dark sketch of what we looked like before Christ. He says, verse 3, we ourselves were once, and then this list. This is what we were continually. This was what described us. But what we need to remember, brothers and sisters, is that by extension, if this is what we were without Christ, all of those who are without Christ are still these things. So let's keep that in mind as we study together. It's not only what we were previously, it's the present state of all those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was this us, it is those around us. So let's look at this not very pretty picture, but truth. First, he says we were foolish. 
We were foolish. The word means unintelligent, unwise, but not from a thinking, not from an intellectual capability or capacity. It's morally. It's spiritually. What was good and right, what's wrong and bad, what's good and evil, the reasoning faculties that God gave us morally, spiritually, we, we were without those. Uh, it's like the videos of that energetic dog. You know, he picks up a really big stick or a, or a log and tries to run through the doorway and, <laughs> and knocks on the, on the door, right? The, the stick won't fit through. Uh, the, the word foolish is brutish, like an animal, like that, just, that just can't figure out how to get through the door. Now, I know that many of them, you know, on those videos, eventually the dog figures out how to do it, but we don't. <laughs> we won't, and we don't figure out ourselves how to do it. Spiritually and morally, we were foolish, unable and unwilling to reason through what God said was right and wrong. Remember, this is what people around us are like without Christ. Don't think it's so strange, brothers and sisters. Don't wonder and scratch your head. Why is it that the world has forgotten what a woman is and what a man is? Why is it that the world can't see that a baby in the womb is a baby? We shouldn't scratch our heads and wonder, this is what we were before Christ. This is what we are without Christ, foolish, unable, unwilling to reason right and wrong. Part of why we can get so frustrated is because so many of those things are so basic. And there will be no excuse before God. He will hold all of us accountable for our actions unless we're in Christ. And, and we know that that's what will happen. Praise God for His grace that's available to all right now. So don't get angry with other people. Live and speak the truth in love to the people around us who don't know and can't know. Paul says we were disobedient. Not just foolish, but disobedient. And we understand what this means, not obeying. But, but it's all inclusive. He, he doesn't qualify it with anything. We were disobedient to God. We were disobedient to parents to government, to, even to our conscience, the, the basic creation order and our conscience. We were disobedient to all of it. But this word carries an added force of continual, stubborn disobedience. The idea is the refusal to be persuaded, defiant in our disobedience. Don't confuse me with the facts, you know, that kind of idea. <laughs> Don't try to appeal to me. Don't try to reason. This is what I know. This is what I do. And the lie today is, this is who I am. This sinfulness, this is, this is what I am. My identity and my existence is what I want it to be, what I say it is. That was us. That's what we were. We thought we could define ourselves. We thought we could tell God what we are and who we are. This is why it is so offensive to people to be told that what they've chosen for themselves is wrong or sinful. Because it's their very existence in their mind. You're attacking me. Brothers and sisters, this is why we can't rely on persuasive arguments to try to argue people into the kingdom. This is why we have to rely, we must rely on God the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of people to save them. It's why we have to use God's word to reach out to people. We can't just tell them things. We can't just reason with people. The Holy Spirit uses his word, not our sophisticated arguments. And not, catch this, he doesn't use us making fun of people. That doesn't work, does it? That will not change anyone's heart. It didn't work for us, and it won't work for anybody else. So people are, we were, without Christ, spiritually foolish and disobedient. 
Paul says, led astray, made to wander right out of the right way, led out of the truth into deception and error. There's no definite purpose or destination. We lived in, in the words of a popular movie from a few years ago, a world of pure imagination, <laughs> but not in a good way. This wasn't, this wasn't a good way. We were lost in a myriad of wrong ways. <laughs> there are so many wrong ways. It doesn't matter which one we were in. It doesn't matter which way, whether it was a philosophy, a world religion, a cult, paganism. It didn't matter. It was all the wrong way. As long as we were led out of the right way, that's where Ephesians 2, 1, and 3 says the prince of the power of the air wanted us to be. That's where Satan himself guided us, led us. That's where we were, following the course of Satan, following the course of this world. That's why, brothers and sisters, we need to be patient with people who are in the world. They're trained constantly in the wrong ways. They're, they're presented as all different right ways. Anything that you choose is okay. We know that there is only one way that leads to life. The way is the person, Jesus Christ. He's the one who saved us, who put us in the right way. So don't try to convert people, brothers and sisters, through politics, through policies. These are spiritual issues. These are spiritual truths that need spiritual answers in Jesus. This is what we were, led astray. Paul says we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. The word slave means slave. We were, we were enslaved. We had no rights. We had no freedom. Our entire existence was a belonging. We were a possession. We were owned by and controlled by, with no question, no hesitation, our passions and pleasures. We were ruled by passions. That's the longing, the desire. I want. I want to have. I want to get. I want to be. It includes the idea all the way of just wanting something all the way up to coveting, which is idolatry, Paul says. Is setting your heart on something. That's passions. Pleasures. Gratification. Seeking what, I, what will please me. The focus of this word pleasures is physical gratification. It's, it's especially sensual or sexual pleasures. We get the word hedonism from this word pleasures. But he says various, various, multicolored, variegated, all kinds of passions and pleasures. Again, it didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter which ones they were. That's what we were controlled by, our sinful passions and pleasures. That was us. We were enslaved to that. They controlled us. They motivated us. It can look like all different things. It can look appealing in all different ways, but it's the same sinfulness from the same heart that leads us to follow those. Some can live for or worship money or sports, or power, or stuff, or whatever it is. Some of it really looks kind of harmless. He's not hurting anybody. Just leave him alone. Let him do his thing. Some of it looks overly, obviously harmful to themselves and to other people, but to us in that place, it seemed right. It seemed like the right thing to do. And it still does for those who are without Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we know that the world doesn't even try to hide this because what is the world constantly telling us? Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. We were enslaved to our passions and our pleasures. This means, brothers and sisters, this means when you hear testimonies in a few minutes from brothers and sisters who were saved by Jesus, there is nobody who's going to have a testimony that's better than anybody else. 
you're going to hear some powerful testimonies. We're going to be blown away by how God has worked in the lives of people. Our brothers and sisters are going to be baptized here. But nobody has one that's better or more real or more miraculous. It's a miracle that God turned any of us from this into his people. He says, passing our days in malice and envy. Passing our days means how we conducted ourselves all day, every day. He's telling us that this is not just what we did. This is what we were. This is who we were without Jesus. Passing our days in malice and envy. Malice is an evil habit of mind. You're incited you're toward, toward wickedness toward others. Not just incited, but you do bad things to other people. Mischief, evil doings. It can include being mean or angry toward somebody. But it doesn't have to. This word allows for you to do cruel things to people with a smile. Have you ever met people like that? You know people like that? Have you been a person like that? <laughs> yes, that's what we were. We could, we could treat people cruelly, but trying to be nice about it, trying to do it politely. Envy. Malice and envy, uh, jealousy, dislike towards somebody. You know, I just can't stand to be around that person. I can't stand when I see that person. I can't stand to see it when they're happy. Why? Well, because there's just something about them that I'm envious about, that I, that I wish I had, that I wish I could do. And it can be real. It can be a real advantage that somebody has, or it doesn't have to be. You know, somebody may have more money than you. Somebody may have more opportunities than you. Oh, I just can't stand it. You may think they're better looking. You may think they're smarter. It may not be real at all, but just, I can't stand. There's ill will. There's, there's animosity toward another person. This is how we passed our time. This is how we lived and viewed life. Everybody's against us. You know, somebody's going to try to take my wife, take my husband, take my children, take my house, take my job, take, you know, they're out to get me. So I better get them first. Or I better get them worse than they got me if they did. That, that's how we passed our days. Listen, this is most obviously seen today in critical theory. Everybody is an oppressor or an oppressed. And so you've got to view everybody through that lens of, of being malice and being envious. Passing your days in malice. and But watch how insidious this is. Because that's like, that's like the most um, obvious example today is, is critical theory and all of the different theories within critical theory. But even if you're not seeking to harm somebody, even if you're not out to get somebody, the world teaches you help somebody because it's good for you, <laughs> Right? Do good things for other people because it helps you. You feel better. It helps you get ahead. It helps develop you. Everything's about selfish motivation. So even when the world is telling us try to be good to people, it's for selfish reasons. It's what passing our days in malice and envy can look like outwardly. Still nice, still friendly, but selfish. That was us. That's what we were like without Christ. He says hated by others. Hated is worthy of hatred. It's disgusting. It's detestable. Others hate others. <laughs> people hate other people. They thought you deserved to be hated. You were abominable, deserving of hatred, unkindness, and anger. That can come because of the color of your skin. That can come because of what country you're born in or what country you live in. It surrounded us outside and inside. Hatred. That's what Paul says characterized us. Now, the world loves its own. It chooses its own. 
But since it doesn't really understand God's love, the world eats its own also. That was us. Hating one another, he says. Hating is abhorring, detesting other people. Again, there's ill will here. There's ready to be hostile toward other people, specifically one another. You know, don't, don't get in my way. It's that idea. Don't get in my way. I will, I'll tell them off. I'll push them off or I'll kill them off if I have to. That kind of mindset. And, and maybe not physically murdering, but a character assassination. I'll do whatever it takes. Stay out of my way. This is why we know what, what Jesus said is true about, you know, anger in the heart produces murder. It's the same thing. It's the same heart, sinful heart of murder. When we're angry at other people, we're hating other people. Even when we cover it with a veneer of kindness, of motivation, of, well, I'm just, I'm just strong-willed. I'm just a type A personality. I, I just really want to get ahead. I just really want to do what I think I'm called to do. We can cover it up and polish it up with so many things, so many different ways. It's not a pretty picture, but that's what we were without Christ. So next, how did God save us? Verses four to six. Number two, how did God save us? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Goodness of God. That is what proves good for us. That's what that means, to provide something beneficial. It's an act of kindness. It's not repayment. It's not something that's owed. It's just given. It begins with kindness. It comes out through action. It's not theoretical. It's not questionable. It's good in its nature. That's what God is. That's what he did to us. That's what he showed to us, his goodness, his loving kindness. We get the word philanthropy from this word, loving kindness. It's affection. It's concern for human beings in an unusual way. Say, why is it unusual? Why why would it be unusual? Because what's expected, what's right, what would be usual is for God to punish us all forever in hell. That's That's what should happen. That would be God's justice because of our sin, because of everything that we saw in verse 3. That's what we deserve, but, but his loving kindness is unusual because instead of wrathful and angry, here he is being affectionate and good and kind and doing good. It appeared. His loving kindness appeared. His goodness appeared. How did it appear? It was there before, but it appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It became visible in the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, as he became man. What was the result of God's goodness, his loving kindness that appeared? He saved us. He saved us. He rescued us. He preserved us safe and unharmed. He delivered us from what we were before. (laughs) All of that stuff we looked at, he saved us from it. He saved us from the power of sin. Brothers and sisters, we talk a lot about how God saves us from the penalty of sin, right? In Jesus Christ, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Hell, we're safe from that forever. We talk about how one day God's going to save us from the presence of sin forever, right? He's going to bring us to heaven. We're going to be with him without sin forever. But this verse, these verses here are telling us and teaching us that he saves us from the power of sin in our life right now. We were foolish so that all we thought and did was sinful, but we were saved from that. We were disobedient and defiantly so, but now we're rescued from that. We were slaves to passions and pleasures and all kinds of different ones, but now we're delivered from that. We were passing our days in malice and envy, but now we're saved from that. We were hated by others. We were hating one another, but now we've been preserved as safe and unharmed despite all of that. 
in Jesus. And it came because of God's goodness, his loving kindness that appeared in Jesus when he saved us. He says, by the way, it was not by works of righteousness done by us. Not anything that we did at all. Not any kind of good. Even the good things, the best the things that we ever did in our lives never amounted to any part of the reason that God saved us. We never did anything good or right that said, oh, I should save that person. (laughs) That was true of us. It's still true of those around us. We must tell them. We must show them. They will not have the opportunity unless we bring them the truth in love. But it was according to his own mercy, Paul says. It was because God saw that we were destined for more of the same. More of verse 3. Getting worse in verse 3. That's what God saw of us. It's going to bring his justice. It's going to bring his judgment and his wrath. So he acted out of mercy for our benefit. It wasn't because he saw anything worthy or deserving. He saw us as helpless and hopeless on our own. So he acted in his mercy in his mercy to save us. How did he act? How did he do it? How did he transform us from all that we were in verse 3 to that list in verses 1 and 2 and the list that that happens throughout the Scriptures? How did he do that? that? That characterized all of us. How did he save us? By the washing, he says here, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing. It's a synonym for baptism. The word washing is cleansing and purifying, baptizing. The washing of regeneration and renewal. How can something so terrible, so sinful, so off, so out of the truth, how can something so bad be made right before God? How can a person be made by regeneration? If you recreate it, that's what regeneration means. Recreate, to be born all over again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The inside of us was ruined beyond all repair. It was dead spiritually by God's mercy. He makes us new all over again. Regeneration. That's how we can be made right from the inside. He also says by renewal. The word is a complete renovation. There's a change in every way. There was a show on TV a few years ago where people had this house, they were trying to sell it, and they would bring people in, um, and they just wanted to do the basic things to make it sell. So they would slap a coat of paint on the inside, they'd rearrange the furniture, and they'd just kind of make it look a little bit nicer, right? And they'd hope that it would sell. This is not that. This renewal is not that. This was the show that came in, and they stripped the house down to the sticks and stones, the foundation and, and the framing. There was one show in particular that destroyed all of that too and just started, started over again. That's this word. He just removed all of it and just started over, renewed us, built all over from the beginning. He washes us because of God's mercy. He purifies us from all of the stuff that we were in verse 3, and he replaces it with what is good, what's new, and what's better. That's regeneration and renewal. And all three of the persons of God, the, the Trinity, the triune God are involved in this. 
God does it. God the Holy Spirit. All three persons. The Bible teaches us that God the Father is the one who originates salvation. He foreordains salvation and election. He calls and he delivers. The Bible teaches us that God the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplishes salvation through his humility, his life, his death, his resurrection. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that salvation, that communicates it through the washing of regeneration and renewal. He convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit continues in that in our lives, and he seals us until the day that we get to go to heaven. All three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are engaged and working in our salvation. This Holy Spirit who regenerates and renews us was poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, the word pour out doesn't mean that you take a cup and you Carefully pour the water into the other cup and make sure that it all gets in there. This is the word just, and you gush it all out. And you get it all over the place. And the word richly here doesn't mean this was a small glass. This was a bucket. This was a whole tank of water. And he just poured it on us, just all gushed out all over us. That's what the Holy Spirit, is. that's how he's given to us through Jesus. So the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was given by the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And he did so through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The one who saved us was the one the Father used to give us the Holy Spirit. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God's grace and his mercy amazing? That's the truth of how we're saved, how we're cleansed from our sin. Number three, now that we're in Christ, verses seven and eight. Now that we're in Christ, and now we, again, we can't spend all of the time that we would like to spend on those things that we've covered before, the things that, we are, that are here, but what effect did that have on us? The, all of the work that God did in, in all three persons, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, did he make it possible that we could be saved? Was it just a potential? No, this was all his work to justify us by his grace, it says here in verse 7. To justify means you are declared righteous. You are pronounced guiltless. We, are, we stand before God now accepted and acceptable to him because of Jesus. And it came by God's grace. Again, unearned, undeserved. We didn't merit or earn God's grace. He gave it and we're still not finished. Because we're not possibly or potentially justified by God, we stand that way in God's grace. That's where we stand in Jesus. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He transformed us. He regenerated us, made us born all over again. He renewed us so that now instead of inheriting wrath, instead of being under his judgment, we become different. We become changed into those who are heirs. We, we are possessors of life. And not just life for a little bit, forever. The hope of eternal life. This is a faithful, trustworthy servant uh, statement, verse 8 says. This is all God's truth. Th- this can be believed, and it must be believed and trusted Because God has said it, and he's shown it to us, and he's done all of this for us. So Titus the pastor was to insist on these things, assert them strongly, tell people these things, and make sure they understand. And we pastors are to insist on these things and assert these things and be confident in this truth. Why? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Learn this gospel. Hear the gospel. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and the effect is a changed life that's no longer like verse 3. It's like verses 1 and 2, submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, gentle, and showing perfect courtesy toward all people. Because God saved us not just from the penalty of sin and not just from the presence of sin one day, but from the power of sin in our life right now. Look at the contrast from what we were to what we are now. It's a total, complete, miraculous, inescapable, inexplicable change. (laughs) We can't understand it. We can't explain it apart from how God explains it here. All of this is the truth of who we were and who we are now. And all of this is the truth that's pictured by water baptism. We deny ourselves. We put to death our flesh. All, of the, all that verse 3 says we were, right? All of those things. We, Jesus says, come to me. If you're going to come to me and you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. So we put all of that away. It's pictured by going down into the water. We're dying with Christ. We're dying to self. We're dying to our flesh. The Holy Spirit is poured out on us richly. He drenches us. He consumes all that we are. He washes us clean. That is pictured by the water of the baptism. We're washed clean and pure to become new and better, not just a fresh coat of paint, not just a few good works here and there, not just some nice things that people can say about us, but brand new from the inside, completely made new and better. The cleansing of sin is pictured by the water in the baptism. It doesn't happen here. Brothers and sisters who come up to be baptized, they've already been washed clean. It's just going to be pictured here by this water. We come up out of the water because now we're transformed into something new and better. We live opposite to the way that we used to live in verse 3. We live verses 1 and 2. Romans 6 calls it newness of life. Paul calls it here throughout Titus as zealous for good works, devoted to good works, a model of good works. That's what it looks like, this new life. And the life we live now in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, Galatians 2. We live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and for our sake was raised, 2 Corinthians 5. That's the part of the picture where we don't stay in the water. (laughs) We come up out of the water, raised to walk in newness of life. Our application, brothers and sisters, is to believe and be baptized. If you have not believed, if you have been offended by this picture of what you look like without Christ, you need to believe. You need to understand that's what God says because that's the truth. We want to help you understand that it's not just you. We're not just picking on you or pointing fingers at you. We've seen this in ourselves. We recognize in ourselves that we were, verse 3, we were this bad without Christ. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only person who can save you, who can make you different, who can transform you from, verse 3, a sinner into verses 1 and 2, obedient, what he wants us to be. The second part of our application is when you have believed, make disciples so we can keep baptizing. (laughs) We love having a baptism service. We love being able to witness God's work in the life of a man, a woman, a, a young person, how he's worked and what he's doing, what he did and what he's doing now, what he's going to do. We love to see that. We love to be a part of that. And remember, it's because that's what Jesus told us to do. 
So make disciples, brothers and sisters. Tell them this truth. Be honest and, and be patient. Remember, this is what we look like. This is what was true of us. And the only reason we're different is because of Jesus. So now is the exciting time for baptisms. We're going to pray in just a minute. Then we're going to sing a song. And during that time, parents, if you would, please go back into the Canyon Kids area. Get your children. And then make sure you come back. Go get your children and then come back. And the leaders are going to come back with you so that we can all, as a church family together, be a part of this baptism. This, this witness of, of obedience to Christ because of love to Him. We're going to sing a song. We'll have a few minutes. So uh, if you have to, somewhere to go to get the kids or if you have something to do to get ready, go ahead and do that now. But let's pray. the rest of us are going to stay here for just a minute and pray, and then we'll sing together, okay? Father God, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful truth. God, these are not things that we say. These are not bullet points on a page. God, these are not just statements of fact. It is all of that, but God, it's so much more because, Lord, this is the truth that you have taught us and shown us for us to believe. God, it's so much more than just knowing. It's so much more than being able to, to be able to, to spit these out and, and just to say these and, and repeat these after you. God, to believe means, Father, that we know, that we trust, and that we act because of what we believe. God, thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for the truth of the Holy Spirit washing us clean. God, we pray that if there is anyone here who has not been washed clean of sin, Father, that you would make that truth alive and real to them. God, that you give us the words to say and the life to live, Lord, that brings glory to you because of the truth of Jesus. Father, we pray for those who are about to be baptized, God. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, for being a part of this. God, would you be glorified. Would the name of Christ be exalted. Father, we love you. We love you because you loved us first. Father, thank you. We praise you in the name of our Savior, our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen.